sifter.com.au. Hello and welcome to Lightmap from Sifter. On Lightmap, we explore what it takes to make video games and interactive media and we meet creative teams from all around the world. My name is Gianni. Thank you so much for joining me. And every episode, you meet developers, artists, musicians, researchers and more. And our guests on Lightmap this week are some people I'm very excited to talk to. Uh, they are now critically and publicly acclaimed developers of Dredge. They're from Aotearoa, New Zealand. They're from Black Salt Games. We've got Joel Mason, Mikey Bastions, and Alex Ritchie. Thank you so much for joining us on the couch. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. We can't wait to learn a little bit more about your fishing minigame extravaganza, taking the best part of any game and turning it into a full game. Um, but before we jump into that, let's find out what's been making the news this week on Walkthrough, which is Sifter's weekly news podcast. Hi, I'm Kyle Paletta. And I'm Fiona Bartholomew. And here are the top stories this week on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast for Sunday, 12th of May. Xbox kills four Bethesda studios, including multi-award winning makers of Hi-Fi Rush and Prey. Helldivers 2 players go to war, loving 200,000 negative reviews after Sony tries to force mandatory PSN logins on PC. Hades 2 gets a surprise early access launch this week, and it's already smashed the previous game's record. And Nintendo confirms we'll learn more about the next Switch by this time next year. You can get every episode of Walkthrough for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or on our website, sifter.com.au, every Sunday. Articles to read, podcasts to listen to, and videos to watch on sifter.com.au. Now, we've got them on the line. Let's reel them in. Can you tell us a little bit about what Dredge is if people haven't come across it before? Uh, so I guess the elevator pitch for Dredge is it is a cosmic horror fishing adventure. I think that was four words kind of sum it up pretty well. Um, but yeah, it is a, a beautifully atmospheric fishing game uh, where you go out, you catch fish, you come back and sell them and upgrade your boat. Uh, and on the surface, it all seems kind of pleasant, but you'll soon discover that there's something... Uh, more than meets the eye when the fog rolls in and it gets dark and you start encountering things out on the water. Let's go right back to the beginning. Where did this project start for you? What was the sort of the grain of an idea that turned into Dredge? So we kicked off this project, I think, I think two years and two months ago, pretty much to the day from launch. Um, and yeah, it was one of the prototypes we were working on. We kicked off this new studio, Black Salt Games, together, and we were prototyping a few different ideas, one of which was this weird fishing game, and it tested really well with all the people we got to play it, uh, and so we turned it into turned it into a full thing. I think we've, at least I've always wanted uh, to make a fishing game. I love fishing games and fishing mini games, uh, and yeah, just the cosmic horror, spooky atmosphere just sort of goes hand in hand with, with the deep ocean for me. Can you tell me what was it that was really connecting with people when you were testing it out? What was it that people came back to you saying, hey, this is this is something different or you noticed the difference and that was why you sort of continued on with it? Well, I guess for me, well, I was one of the initial, I think, prototype testers before I jumped onto this project anyway. And it was just something that was just eerily moody and atmospheric. And then I think that's what reined in a lot of other people because it's just really kind of mysterious. It feels a bit different than any other game. And I think that 
when like all the art started coming together, it just really fit really well. It just felt like this has got something behind it. What I really like is that you feel that real pressure to just push a little bit further, try to get a little bit into a riskier position, and every time the game is kind of pulling back on you, pulling you back into port. Can you tell me a little bit about designing the challenge of, you know, four players when they're going out on each day uh, to try and see what they can find? A lot of the game design is based around, as you say, that that risk-reward style of play, but also allowing players to control uh, their investment into the horror side of the game. You know, we're not hugely horror-based gamers. Uh, we just love the atmosphere that a lot, of, a lot of those horror games have. So we wanted to give players that agency to say, no, it's 5 p.m. now, I'm done, I'm going back to, back to shore, and I'm going to sleep through the night. Or if players really wanted to push through and, uh, you know, catch those squid that come out at night, uh, then they can do that. But there might be things out there to meet them. Yeah, there was a lot of playtesting that went in, and I think just strategically placing things just a little bit out of your reach, potentially, so you always get a little bit like, maybe I can make it, and then you miss a couple notches and the time goes by, like, oh no, now it's like nighttime, now I start freaking out. Yeah, we very early on, we placed the different regions around the world in a very deliberate distance from your starting area, so unless you had made sufficient upgrades to your engines, you couldn't reach those further islands unless uh, without going into nighttime. Um, so yeah, forcing players to to really think about their loadout uh, with regards to to time. Alex, I wonder if you can talk to this, but one of the things that really captured me was the first time I pulled in one of the aberrations, one of the weird fish that you pull out of the ocean. Um, nominally on the map, they you know, in your little uh, inventory, they look exactly the same sort of shape, but they look a bit freaky. Can you tell me a little bit about designing some of those things and sort of opening up that world um, into the sort of creepier and weirder stuff under the sea? Yeah, those were a lot of fun to make. Um, uh, so I got to just go kind of a little bit wild with the designs and just kind of um, explore any... The first things that would come to my head, I would try them out. If something didn't work, I'd try something else out. Um, I liked... Um, putting disgusting things on the fish and just seeing how, how far I could push it. Um, and then when I had trouble thinking of ideas, uh, we would, I would, I would shout out and these guys would give me some ideas to bounce off of as well. And then we would just kind of see what comes out of it. Um, also, if you just Google some really some deep sea fish, you're going to find horrific nightmare creatures and that are like real. I, um, and that's pretty big inspiration for making, also nightmare fish how do you take it further than the nightmare of the real world <laughs> yeah there's a lot of like human teeth and stuff <laughs> that, on some of these fish that does it if you just put if you just take any human feature and put it on a fish you're you're already in the right zone <laughs> what i really liked as well is because each of the fish kind of have their sight set shape almost their set silhouette when you pick it up you kind of have to actually really check you hear the the audio clue that you've picked up something scary but you open it up in your inventory and then there was something there can you tell me a little bit about the design of of that and and maintaining the silhouettes of of these fish while they might be quite different the shapes of the fish um it's important to uh let players sort of predict the the shapes of the fish that they're about to catch um, because the game is about inventory management as well. Uh, so players sort of make decisions and they think, yeah, I could fit some of those long, thin fish in. I can see them over there in the water. I'm going to go and get them. And if you, if you then grab up something that is square, 
that's that kind of throws a spanner in the work. So we don't really do that. We we keep the silhouette of the fish um, the same. We just uh, mess it up a lot. Tell me a little bit about sort of designing uh, the world in which you're living in. Obviously, the comparisons to you know Lovecraft and that sort of eldritch world is there, but Talk about the design of that world that you've created and what, what sort of things did you pull from and, and what did you want to do your own? Well, I guess if we go by, I know that I was doing a lot of work on the buildings and then so I was just, just searching up like abandoned whaling stations or abandoned like coastal towns and there was just plenty of awesome references for that. And then Alex earlier on, he went through and just kind of gave an idea for each of the different kind of biomes and zones and everything like that. And then so I was like, all right, here is this kind of volcanic area and zone like well what goes well there just like greek um persian sort of ruins and we can sync those things up because there's also some kind of like mesopotamian law stuff that ties back into some of the lovecraftian sort of things and of course when you have a whaling town you might as well pull in like the actual whaling stuff in there as well and then seeing how many of those abandoned stations are they just look really awesome and stuff what about story wise tell me how that you you know you wanted to tell the story that you told in this game because it is one that you can kind of discover as you play i didn't feel like i was really kind of forced into doing it i could just kind of go and pull it all little threads that i liked as as i went along yeah that was definitely our intention um, the original design of the game had very little in the in the way of story uh, but when we tested it with our friends, they all wanted to know more about the world. Uh, so it ended up being a you know thirty thousand word script. Uh, but it was important to us to not put pages and pages of writing in front of players um, and force them to read it. So allowing the the main line through the quests to be really simple and really concise, uh, but also providing opportunities for players to. Uh, ask further questions of our characters or find uh, things in the world, whether that's through our messages in a bottle or uh, crazy symbols scratched onto the wall of a cave somewhere that mean something. Uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of that uh, ambient storytelling that we try to add to the game. Why didn't you want to go deeper in it? Is it just a scope sort of question that you didn't want to make it a big story or is it just did not fit? Why did you not go you know, more voiced or, for example, you know, like all of these things and having a big, uh, uh, you know, big engrossing story that really carried people through. I, I think really we, we wanted to focus on the gameplay for a lot of it. Um, you know, you, you start the game and we deliberately try to get you out there sailing and catching fish as soon as possible within like 45 seconds. Um, so, so, yeah, just allowing players to always get back to that gameplay if they really want to. Uh, that, was a, that was a core goal for us. Um, for me, some of the, some of my favorite stories and games are the ones that um, just quite don't tell you everything. Um, they tell you they tell you enough to get your like brain going and trying to fill the gaps. Um, and I think that was something that kind of we wanted to do as well, right from the beginning. Um, leave enough mystery for people to kind of make up their own theories. Yeah, well, pretty big fans of like all the Soul series games and everything as well, where they are very much like that, where most of the actual story in that game is kind of filtering through the 
kind of like the item descriptions and all those sort of things. Alex, can you tell me a little bit about the characterization of the the people that you meet in this game? Because, you know, one that really struck me is when you meet the researcher uh, off near the the Stranded Deep, I think it is, or the Reef. Um, and she has quite a very different look to the rest of everyone there. You know, to me, I read that as someone who has come into this world and hasn't spent their whole life there. But tell me about some of the character that you wanted to get out of these these um, these illustrations you have for the people in the game. We would have our, our discussions about what characters are the main characters for each area and what kind of stories you're going to get out of them. Um, and Joel would kind of have an overview of, of what the character is kind of going to be. Um, and then we would talk about vaguely what they should look like and what they should dress like before I even start sketching. Um, so uh, after, all, after all that, it's actually fairly straightforward for me to get uh, um, a sketch that we all agree on. Um, it, I mean, there wasn't a lot of iterations for many of the characters, to be honest. Um, just kind of fell into place, I guess. Joel, can you tell me, I guess, what were the sort of main pillars of the story that you wanted to be for each of those particular areas that you visit, the swamp, the, the reef, the volcano, all of that sort of thing? Um, what, what were you trying to explore with each of those zones as, as players were getting better at fishing, better at doing uh, exploring the world? So I think it was important for us to add a lot of visual variety in these areas, you know, um, kind of falling into the video game trope of the lava level and, and the jungle level, but, you know, sort of our own spin on some of these things. Uh, in terms of the characters, we wanted to, to kind of separate them into sort of different emotional tones, I guess. Um, you know, th- this is a really sort of horrible and depressing world uh the game that is um uh but but not everybody sort of reacts the same way to this world you know some of them are um some of them are depressed but some of them are sort of paranoid some of them are you know somehow upbeat despite everything so it was really important to give these characters a slightly different voice to each other um and that that sort of had to come through in their text in their dialogue um, but also in their in their character art. Mikey, maybe could you tell me about designing um, some of the look of the world and sort of character and story that you'd like to tell through that, um, some of the explorations that you did that maybe worked or, or didn't work as you were trying to prototype the, the way that the, the game actually felt? Yeah, so I did a lot of work on like all the uh, monsters and the environment stuff. And one of the main things I remember doing was um, like some of the planes and everything. So we had to find period specific kind of planes and everything as well because we don't really explicitly say what date everything is in the game but we've got a rough idea of where that was at so i was trying to make sure that things are kind of like appropriate for the kind of time period that we we're trying to roughly set the game within and then when it came to like doing the monsters then i think it was just a case of all right how wild can i go with this um what did we want the player to do because whenever we set up each of those different zones the first thing we wanted to do was like how do we want players to kind of act in the zone? What sort of actions do we, we want them to kind of do? How do we want them to avoid a particular um, creature? Where do we want them to go? How do we funnel players around? And then designing creatures that kind of fit those uh, kind of elements into the game as well. So I think in like Twisted Strand, we wanted something that kind of just like basically scares you away from a, partic- a particular area that might force you deeper into the kind of like the Twisted Jungle and everything like that. And then you're like, stuck and then you get trapped and then you start panicking and then everything else kind of goes crazy there and then so we had lots of fun doing that one i remember just doing a bunch of different scribbles for like 
How about this kind of creature? How about a crocodile? How about a crab? How about an axolotl with wings? How about this? And we went with like the worm thing and stuff. So it was really fun coming up with those sort of ideas. Yeah. How much of the danger is in the players' heads by setting that mood of it? And how much of it is in the actual game? Like, can people be completely destroyed? Or do you play with the sort of the danger in the background so that um, it's always people on the edge of their seat? There's a lot of fear that is kind of driven purely by the player's own imagination, especially right at the very start where we kind of introduce things in very slowly and sometimes it's just sounds. And then that usually just terrifies people in the first place or then they'll start seeing something and then they'll think it's a lot worse than it actually is. Um, I think towards the end when players kind of get used to things, the kind of whole shock and fear of it all kind of becomes a little bit diluted at that point. But for the people that are always going to be like, I don't want to go out at night, that fear will kind of always stay there until they really get done in by something. Yeah, there's a there's a particular thing that can happen more towards the start of the game, which is literally just a splash in the water next to the boat. But we've seen people scream from that. you know, And I, I think that shows that uh, people are in the right mood for the game if they're uh, screaming at that or in fact we've seen people scream at their own shadow um, yeah the dolphins and whales definitely got me as I was going along um, coming out of the water normally a lovely thing but tell you what you do not want to see a shape movie like that as you're going along um, what I really loved was the ways that you sort of varied the um, the catching mechanic um, that you're playing they, they re- were reminiscent of ones that I had seen before but there were some that were pretty different can you talk to me about um, designing that uh, particular gameplay for players um, yeah so obviously the fishing mini game is a, is a huge part of any game but also ours um, so we had a few key goals uh, with the fishing mechanic and it was uh, that it should be as accessible to as many people as possible. Um, it shouldn't feel frustrating. Uh, and it had to feel okay to do for 10, 12 uh, more hours. Um, so one of the ways that we achieved a lot of these goals is actually making it essentially optional in that uh, when you play the mini game, it, it is sort of completing itself, but you can help speed it up by interacting at the right time um, and yeah, that just means that if, if you want to chill out, you can just catch stuff and you don't have to worry. Um, we also mix up the style of, of fishing mini game based on what you're catching and where you're catching it, um, which helps keep it uh, a little fresh. Yeah. I think that whole, I think the main thing is like this whole idea of like your main resource that you're trying to manage is essentially that time. And then, so as you are fishing, if you're good at it, you catch them quicker but you're also just staring at a little wheel the entire time and you're not really paying attention to the time that's ticking up in the top. And then when you finally get that fish, then it's another simple sort of little easy game, which is just basically the Tetris fitting that fish into the right spot. And then because these things are relatively simple, it's easy to kind of go to one thing, get distracted by that thing, and then here's this other little thing, think about things a different way, you just keep getting stuck in this simple little loop and then realizing, oh, time's gone and everything as well. And then because of all the other things that surround it, it just seems to have just worked out perfectly of these couple simple mechanics, but when they tie it together, they become a bit more in-depth, and it seems to have worked out really well for us. Yeah, that zones of focus sort of idea that you're really concentrating on certain things and not looking at the periphery, how did that design kind of come about? Did you notice it in something else that you really liked, or or was it just something that was um, you know felt right in, in the experimentation as you were developing? There's a, there are a few elements of um, sort of claustrophobia, in the game 
Um, you know, obviously the, the, the primary one is when you're out at night, that first night and the fog really closes in on you. You know, there's a very small uh, uh, range of sight that you get. Um, but also when you're fishing, we pull the camera up above you and sort of look down into the depths, um, which conveniently uh, stops you from noticing anything that may be approaching from the side because, after all, your character is focused on fishing down in the depths. Um, yeah, so, so we sort of play a few few tricks on you with, with that claustrophobia feeling. One of the things I also really loved was that you really can just go and do one thing every day if you wanted to. There's plenty of things you can choose to do. There was always something you could head off and, and try and achieve. Um, can you tell me about sort of designing that process of, of the gameplay? I, I don't know if, if that was a deliberate or a conscious part of our design, but we just sort of kept adding adding layers to the game um, and things to find and things to do. And we see a lot of sort of sort of magpie behavior in, in our players who, who go out and see something shiny and they think, oh, I'm going to go do that. And on the way to that, they see something else that's cool. And they end up sort of getting nothing done, particularly on any given day. Um, but they've seen a lot of cool things and ideally they've gotten lost and they're suddenly in the fog in the dark and they have a cool moment. Um, so, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of different distractions for players. Um, and it's sort of up to them to, to focus on something and get it done. You mentioned a little bit about watching people play the, your game. Um, what has been some of the most surprising aspects of the way that people approach your game that you didn't think people would do or, or, or things that have really made it, uh, you know, big, big impact on the team? I think people have been like, because we've been watching a lot of the streamers because that's been pretty enjoyable to kind of watch them or kind of freak out and everything like that. And they've all kind of got their own way of approaching it. And I think that's what's been really interesting because we wanted people to kind of play it in their own kind of way. And you get the people that were like, oh, I'm just going to see what it's like. And then just getting caught up with everything that's kind of going on. And then sometimes their chat will, there's a lot of backseat gaming, it feels like, from their kind of group. They're just like, no, I don't need to do that. And they just listen to the chat. And then something terrible will happen to them every single time. And it's just been pretty funny watching all of that stuff. So that's been great watching other people play through and experiencing things in the way they have been. I, I don't know if there's anything um, that's particularly su surprised me that I've seen, but there are a lot of sort of hidden mechanics that we've deliberately um, hidden in the game. Uh, and seeing players understand how they work and then using them to their advantage, uh, there are some sort of side effects to some of our abil the, the abilities that the player has. Um, and, yeah, seeing them used uh, as, as the perfect tool in a player's arsenal is, is really satisfying. Some, some of those things came about from us actually watching players, though, because um, we've been playtesting throughout the, all of development, and um, at a certain point we, there's, there's a way to deal with some birds in the game. <laughs> and um, before we had a way to deal with them, they, we watched some players play the game, and they would um, just instinctually try a certain thing with one of our abilities and we were like oh that's a great idea um that makes sense and kind of it turned into an ability because of that well, there's a lot to discover and you know some of those sort of emergent things that uh you know when i just turned around a corner and found a little hidden shrine uh, that was requesting crabs for me and then all of a sudden found an incredible crab net um can you tell me are there other secrets that you've buried in this game that anyone like hasn't come across yet or is it still pretty sort of surface level um or, or all available for people to find there are at least two significant uh 
things or, or mechanics that I've not seen anybody get yet. And one of them was something that I was sure people were going to find eventually. Uh, and, I mean, it's only been three days at this point, four days at this point. Uh, but, yeah, there's, there's some big things in there for, for people to find. As a studio, I know you're a small team. Can you tell me what it's been like uh, to see the reception in this last couple of days since the game has been out and, you know, about a week before that when uh, critics started to get their hands on it? How does it feel to be at this point? Yeah, it's been really awesome. Um, I think for Alex and myself, who don't really, like, follow too much of the, like, reply and keep an eye on the Discord side of things too much because there's a lot of stuff to kind of filter through. So we've been kind of, like, taking a little bit step back, like, all right, this is all kind of cool. Just watch those sort of things. But I think... Uh, so Nadia and Joel, they're always paying like a really close attention to all the stuff that's coming through and replying to people. And I'm like, oh, man, there's a lot of stuff coming through now. It's like it's pretty insane seeing the kind of response and support that everyone's been giving us. It's been crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, I mean, the critic reviews uh, combined with the Steam reviews, the reception to both uh, has been beyond my wildest dreams. I mean, all I ever wanted was an overwhelmingly positive uh and and we hit that and like that that was my number one success metric for this game and and we did it so i'm i'm so happy with that yeah it's pretty crazy i mean i've got um there are there are youtubers and streamers that i've been watching for years and like seeing a bunch of them play our game i watched co carnage finish our game uh like two a couple days ago that was crazy. How has the, the release sort of changed things for you as a studio? What was your plans looking like, you know, in six months' time, you know, two weeks ago versus what it looks like now? Uh, it's kind of hard to say because this is kind of our first day back in the office since since launch. So we haven't really had a chance to have any of those discussions yet. But, um, you know, it's it's uh, exceeded our expectations in, in, every, in every metric, basically. Uh, so, so I think... Yeah, I think I think we we have a future um, to plan now, which is great. Is the world of Dredge one that you want to revisit? Is there more stories to tell in this game, or is it something that you wanted to kind of finish and put a bow on and move on to the next project? I think that's uh, the next discussion that we kind of yeah. had because I think we've been waiting on like we'll see if people actually like the game, and then if it gets a lot of support, then who knows? Maybe we will delve back into this world, but. I think those discussions are going to be put on the shelf just for a little bit longer and everything, and then we'll figure out all of that side of things. Can you tell me what is the biggest thing that you have learnt uh, through this process? One thing that you um, wish that you knew at the beginning of the project and now come out of it and, and think this is the, the one thing I would do differently in every future game that I work on? For me, at least, it's felt like, all right, it's actually putting into practice everything that I've been kind of picking up over the last like decade or so in the industry anyway. So just to kind of have like, hey, look, we can actually do this sort of thing that's the been the really cool side of things for me at least anyway and then i guess it'll be a case of all right now can we replicate it again with the next thing or whatever we do next so that's what i'm looking forward to seeing what doing next i guess for me uh I, I don't know if it was the biggest thing but it was certainly a large thing um which was the reception to our demo so we had uh, a demo for the game out as part of the steam next fest uh, last october ish um and I, I was sort of of the opinion that people didn't play demos anymore um, or that if you played a demo, you sort of got your fill of the game and then you thought, oh, yeah, I don't need to play the rest of that. But the reception to our demo uh, completely blew me away and, and it sort of really started the snowballing effect uh, for the game. 
you know, it grew our community uh, in a huge way. We had uh, something like 70,000 people play our demo um, over the next fest. And it was kind of the first moment when I thought that, oh, we actually have a game that people like here. And it was really encouraging to see. It's it's an incredible game, one that I've really enjoyed and one that has uh, sort of held a place in my mind as I think of all the remaining fish that I need to catch. I tell you what, I can't find that gulper eel. If you can point me in the direction of where to get one of those, um, it's really uh, causing me a lot of strife to searching out there in the in the world. Um, thank you all for joining us. Thank you, uh, Joel, Mikey, and Alex. I really appreciate you joining us on the latest episode of Lightmap. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, great. Um, you can find more about the game uh, by heading to dredge.game um, or check it out on just about everything, actually. It's on just about every platform you could possibly want to play it on. Um, it's a really good one uh, to experience and, and one that you should go in. I think pretty blind, I think, is probably the advice. If you can try going in it as, as, as cold as you can. Join the Sifter community on Discord at sifter.com.au forward slash discord. Sifter is produced by Fiona Bartholomeus, Daniel Ang, Adam Christou, Mitch Lowe is senior producer, and my name is Gianni DiGiovanni, and I'm the executive producer. Thanks to Omni Studio for their support of Sifter's podcast. You can find everything we talked about on our website, which is sifter.com.au. And while you're online, why not check out the Sifter Discord? That's sifter.com.au forward slash Discord, where people share their creative works. We've got model makers, we've got zine makers, people who are doing game dev, all of that sort of stuff that jump in and share what they're working on it's a really cool place to spend uh, some time that's sifter.com.au forward slash discord that's all the time we have for now until next time have fun Chris Button here from Drop Rate, Sifter's video game review podcast. Unicorn Overlord might have a strange name, but don't dismiss its tactical prowess. It uses a, a tactics mode, um, and, which is similar to the Gambit system that was in Final Fantasy XII for your um, uh, your squad mates. And you can say, okay, well, you know, Hodrick, who's my legionnaire with the big shield, I want him to prioritize protecting the back row. They're going to take the most damage. If they take a physical hit, they're going to go down, but I need them to be protected. So you can get quite granular with this, and I reckon you could build some pretty wild builds that are <laughs> totally game-breaking, um, but it's kind of the fun of the tactical squad-based gameplay in Unicorn Overlord. Tune in to Drop Rate to find out why Unicorn Overlord might just be one of 2024's sleeper hits. Available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.